Hello, everybody. I just screen shared the wrong window. Whoopsies. <laughs> but uh, hello, everybody. Today is Sunday, January 28th. And uh, today, Block Digest episode 75 is coming at you at block height 506,533. And today, we have the pleasure of introducing special guest, uh, Giacomo Zucco. Welcome to Block Digest. Thank you very much for inviting me. Honored. And we've got our regular cast of Meme Master Rick. Hey, everyone. I hope you all are having a good weekend. Kylo Ren. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, JW. Hey, guys. Let's, uh, let's enjoy talking security today. And Janine. Hi. All right. So I guess uh, I'm going to pass the torch off to JW and uh, Giacomo. You guys... Uh, Kind of wanted to dive a lot more in depth into the security model of sidechains and potential flaws or attacks uh, from that vector. You want to take it away, JW? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks a ton, Giacomo, for coming on. So the thing that um, kind of inspired this is we were going back and forth with a couple of the teams that that are trying to push sidechains, um, specific sidechain side solutions uh, on Twitter, and, and and it ended up being a pretty interesting conversation. Um, and uh, I thought maybe we could start out, Giacomo, by just if you could talk about the potential of sidechains and kind of what, what, um, why it's exciting and why we want it to be done securely, and then we can kind of go from there and start talking about some of the problems. Sure. Yeah. The reason itself, I, I, I've got so much uh, passionate about this debate on Twitter with uh, with everybody, kind of uh, ending up uh, insulting each other as, as always, is that I think that uh, sidechain as a concept is extremely important, extremely use useful, probably one of the keys for the long-term success for Bitcoin. Because the real problem right now is that altcoin as a model, uh, let's, let's just forget for a moment that right now with few exceptions, maybe one, maybe two, all altcoins are just scams really technically speaking and socially speaking and economically speaking. But even if there was one uh, altcoin that was uh, uh, scientifically legit, uh, uh, engineeristically speaking, well done, and uh, ethically speaking, well promoted, uh, the concept itself of, of an altcoin to experiment uh, undermines the concept of scarcity of 21 millions of coins. So even if uh, we imagine a world in which uh, everybody is serious about producing new coins, the fact is that if you can crea create uh, infinite uh, variants and clones of Bitcoin and you continue innovating that way, then the premise of a uh, determinate scarcity on Bitcoin, which was the initial premise that the, the, everything, the, the theory of uh, hyper-Bitcoinization is based upon, uh, just collapsed. So uh, we can just say that we will just get uh, we will just go on without altcoins. Everything will have to be done on Bitcoin or or or, or nothing. That's for sure is one possibility. But the problem with this is that uh, this undermines uh, the the possibility to experiment with uh, with uh, designs which are interesting but so different, so radically different from Bitcoin that there is no way to try to implement those in Bitcoin. For one example, uh, right now we are just uh, seeing debate about how to launch it will be green, so the first implementation of, of Mimblewimble. Mimblewimble is, is an, a great idea, but unfortunately it's so different from Bitcoin that you cannot you cannot trivially uh, propose it like just a BIP. Uh, or uh, one could say that Monero itself is uh, right now, it's uh, like probably the, the only altcoin that serves 
uh, a purpose actually in the market and it does with uh, uh, ring signatures and confidential trans transaction that are things that are not scalable on run so you cannot adopt them on bitcoin but still people need the, those for for some strong anonymity purposes and so you are you are left with an altcoins or uh, even more you can you could uh, create an altcoin for experiment like uh, peter todd's uh, tree chain or proof chain or client side validation or you could do that even to tweak trade-offs for example uh, satoshi had to to choose a trade-off between a very very slow block time and very very small block size and then you have a chain that you can validate easy uh, on a watch cell phone but with very very uh, bad user experience or you could do something with very very large blocks and very very uh, uh, high frequency blocks but then you get something very easy to use a very good ux but then nobody can validate and you get centralized in the middle so satoshi had to guess uh, how to put bitcoin inside of this uh, trade-off uh, uh, uh trade-off line it choose 10 minutes uh 10 minutes and uh, one megabyte now it's 10 mi minutes and more than two megabytes because we have segwit and probably uh, this was a choice a little bit moved too much toward ux instead of security because as you know we don't run a lot of full nodes and users are using uh non-full nodes in the cell phones basically trusting miners about uh, uh inflation schedule about not stealing Satoshi's money. So a lot of people is trusting miners. So we could say that this is not the perfect choice, but uh, to, to find the perfect choice, uh, it would be nice to have the ability to experiment. Of course, you can use testnet, but uh, as we have seen with uh, Segwit adopted on, like, uh, on Litecoin, for example, a, a live testnet with real money on stake is usually uh, more effective, especially to simulate a threat model uh, if you have real model, if, if you have real money, you can actually see real attacks and uh, real social dynamics. If you don't have real money, uh, probably you're not really testing an economical system. You're just testing the code, which is important, but it's right. not enough. So sidechain as a concept is great. Uh, and, and that's why I, I, I've got particularly uh, triggered by the fact that one of the uh, main proponent left, uh, at least in the short term, for the sidechain concept. So sidechain at the beginning were proposed by, basically Blockstream itself was created around the idea of sidechain and around the paper of sidechain. With the first idea that we will maybe discuss in this episode, the idea of SPV proofs. Then yeah. all the people proposing that uh, felt that SPV proof was, was not secure. So they kind of, uh, they kind of, uh, they're like pushing toward another direction, which is federated and maybe long run, zero knowledge proof based. Uh, but this moves a lot. The, this probably lowers the bar for trustlessness and uh, permissionlessness. And it, this moves a little bit uh, far away the, the, the time frame of side chains. One yep. of the few proponent, proponents remained for uh, side chains right now, which is Paul Stork. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see that he decided to promote his idea, uh, uh, writing conspiracy theory about Bitcoin developers and and uh, trying to uh, trying to use uh, the anti-Bitcoin side like a, like a boost on his uh, on his proposal. And I think that's very bad, especially uh, about timing because. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm talking too much. Then I will shut up in a minute. No, 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 it's all right, man. I, I'll, I'll just, I'll just interject really quickly that I, I completely agree with 
everything that you said about the potential. And I think Grin is a perfect example of something that's super disappointing that it's not on a side chain because we're, we don't have a secure way to do that yet. Because what they're doing, like you said, is really interesting. It's innovative. Um, there's, there's new sort of math involved, right? Like it's fundamentally very, very cool and very interesting. Um, but in order to do that experiment, they had to run a bunch of other experiments related to the economic supply. So for example, there's more, there's more Grin produced over the lifetime of Grin by far than there is for Bitcoin because it doesn't have a, a decreasing sort of uh, or logarithmic uh, um, emission schedule, right? It's just linear. So it's 50 per block forever. And, you know, maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, but it's unfortunate that we can't, um, we can't just use Bitcoin with a proven sort of monetary distribution. Um, and the, the other big thing that, that you mentioned that I think is really huge for sidechains is that not only do we want to be able to just experiment still using Bitcoin, which is really important, um, but we also, um, we also really want to be able to, um, um, experiment with the existing asset. Um, and, uh, sorry, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but we want to be able to experiment with the existing asset. We want to be able to try new, new technologies and we don't want to have to experiment on all the economic side of things. Oh, that's what I was going to say. And, you know, Bitcoin is essentially a, an attempt to create global money, right? We need everybody to be using it for our goods and services to be priced in this thing, right? For it to really truly be money, because that's one of the one of the attributes of money as being a unit of account. And um, in order for us as Bitcoiners to have a plausible story to people that understand economics, we have to be able to tell them, yes, this is going to become global money. Otherwise, it's not all that interesting. Um, certainly not interesting from an investment standpoint. And in order for it to become global money, we have to be able to innovate on it without changing the actual unit of account. So for all those reasons, I'm totally with you. I think if we can find a way to do secure side chains, it's going to be amazing. And the, the, you know, the, the fight that we got into, you know, on Twitter with Paul, um, and this applies to RSK just as well, although they've just been a little bit more quiet about it, um, is that, yeah, we want to do all those things, but we're not going to force it and do something that is, that's insecure in order to kind of get what we want. Right. That's why we didn't want to just increase the block size to a dangerous level. We, we don't want to break the system in order to make, to add features. Yeah, I, I agree. And this is symmetric for uh, with the other kind of debate. So you, uh, I, I say that, and, and you said as well, that if you want to experiment with new technical architectures, you don't want to also bootstrap again a new asset class. So we already have the digital goal. If you want to try to to use a new architecture, so Mimble, Wimble, whatever, you want to keep the, the asset, the new digital asset that we uh, that, that people before us and, and, and we bootstrap it for years, and then you want to use that to innovate on top of, uh, you want to use that as money on top of your architecture. But on the other side, if you want to experiment with new kind of uh, economical assets, for example, you want to try, I mean, economy is not only made by gold. Economy is made by gold, but also by debt, uh, stock, uh, futures, derivatives. And even and if you want to try to do those, on a permissionless digital ledger, maybe you don't want to reinvent the underlying structure. So uh, 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 along the side chains to use Bitcoin without the Bitcoin blockchain, there were also experiments to use the Bitcoin uh, the Bitcoin blockchain without Bitcoin the asset. For example, counterparty, Omni, Colored Coin, and uh, even there we have seen the same problem, uh, which is impatience. So people had this idea to try the the way to do that in a clean way 
is not around yet. And so since they cannot be patient, I mean, Peter Todd waited for years in order to just see uh, checklow time verify a checklow sequence uh, merge, which were very straightforward things, very easy things. And we had to wait for years. SegWit was a battle. Uh, it was uh, years of study, proposals, testing, an idea by, by Luke about soft fork, and a lot of controversy. Uh, so for something as, as important as sidechain concept or uh, not Bitcoin asset on top of Bitcoin, uh, it's normal that we will take a lot of time to make it to make it uh, to make it good. And unfortunately, that happened as well with Counterparty and with Mastercoin. People that cannot see their idea adopted soon because it's still not good, it's still not safe. What they tend to do is to convert their their passion into some kind of conspiracy theory, where everybody else is some somehow boycotting their idea. Or uh, or but I, I want to. To, to disprove exactly this point. So uh, when uh, the problem is not- well, Hey, let me, let me ask you this, just because I don't know everybody that, you know, we've, we basically said what they're trying to do is a bad idea. Um, I don't know if everybody even understands that. So let, let's let uh, let's cover why it's a bad idea and then we'll, we'll talk about motivation. Because I think you're more charitable on the motivation side than I am. Yeah. I tend to think that this is, uh, this is a little more malicious, but um, what is the problem with what Paul Stork is proposing and what RSK is saying that they're moving to? So uh, the, the the problem is uh, somehow the same problem that stopped the the blockstream team from uh, from going on with the original idea of uh, of sidechain. So the original idea is uh, you lock your funds uh, inside a inside a, a Bitcoin address. Then you generate Bitcoin on the sidechain, and that's I mean that's the easy part. But when you have to unlock the funds on the main chain, locking or destroying the funds on the sidechain. Then of course the Bitcoin nodes uh, cannot be supposed to validate all the story of the asset on the sidechain because otherwise there is no purpose in having a sidechain in the first uh, uh, in the first place. So you have to assume that Bitcoin full node uh, full nodes will not have the burden to check all the history of the side coin. So uh, the, the the original idea is we will have an opcode that just checks that. Uh, even if uh, the full Bitcoin full node cannot validate all the story of the asset, they will validate an SPV version of it. So a simplified Merkle tree based version, which is possible to uh, to to produce in a in a in a uh, forged false way, fake way by the miners. But the idea back then was probably the miner will not attack. Then uh, after a while, we have seen miner actually starting to use any kind of. Uh, uh, not actually miners. We, we have seen what? We have seen one ASICs um, production monopolist, so Bitmain basically, uh, getting great part of the ASICs market and actually using this influence to uh, impose, to mine impulse, to ushers, to signal political stances that were uh, favorable for their games. They did it on Litecoin, they did it on Bitcoin. Basically, they used the BIP9 mechanism, uh, which was a readiness signaling mechanism so bit 9 was uh we have to we agreed about this change everybody agreed technically so on github it's all ack now that we agreed please miner do signal that you are ready to to adopt the new rules but that's just a signal not a voting uh, miners uh, guided by uh, the asics monopolist started to use this signaling mechanism 
as a voting mechanism and other malicious people, so the B2X guys, Barry Silbert and Jeff Gardzik, they use this kind of uh, situation to, to push their compromise, so their basically their uh, corporate attack on Bitcoin uh, because of this BIP9. So the idea of BIP9 itself was uh, uh, pretty much inoffensive. It was a naive, uh, good, good mean uh, idea. Uh, please just signal that you're ready. But it was used as a political weapon by a, a mining situation which could get better in the future. But right now, it's very, very easy to control by a single party uh, in China. Maybe not next year, but right now that's like that. So people stop yep. with the SPV idea. And what Paul proposed basically is get rid of this SPV proof. Let's make miners directly decide uh, what history on the sidechain is good and what is not good. So 51% of the miner will have the ability to direct uh, unlock the funds the, uh, uh, toward any address they like. So uh, uh, the, uh, some kind of game theory developed by Paul that I, that, that I think is actually interesting uh, will prove that the incentives for honest miner will not be to just take the money and run away, but will, will be to somehow uh, coordinate as a shelling point uh, around the sidechain real history. The, the, the point is that this is an assumption that I think could be right or wrong, but we have, uh, uh, we have at least one example of this kind of mechanism, uh, BIP009, uh, used exactly to, to force political agenda, uh, external political agendas on top of Bitcoin. So uh, the problem with, with, uh, with this uh, drive chain idea, which is the minor vote, uh, because of uh, uh, the money vote to decide the destiny of the main coins, uh, this kind of, uh, of idea opens up a new potential uh, political target for uh, one specific minor monopolist to try to blackmail basically all the sidechain economy in order to obtain more influence on the main chain economy. Something like, uh, I don't know, I don't want Schnorr signature to pass because uh, Core is evil and uh, and blockstream blah 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 and so uh if you try to force uh, uh signatures i we will uh, divert or destroy the funds on this side chain which is the one used by these users uh the problem yeah. with side chain is that many people in the ecosystem now that they thought about it they don't want to open this kind of uh, attack surface it's not that this logic cannot work anyhow in every, in every situation. But right now, after these political precedences, uh, this new surface attack, uh, attack surface, is probably not what we want, at least un until we fix the mining problem in a more general way. Yeah. So if you, if you use like security terminology or you look at um, security issues, in, in the security community, we usually say like the, the least, um, the least interesting attack is a denial of service, right? So like jwweatherman.com right now, if you go to it, you probably can't get to it because I'm I'm undergoing a denial of service attack because of, I don't know, I said something the last week that pissed somebody off, right? So they're throwing a, a few hundred bucks, probably not a whole lot more than that to keep my website from functioning, right? And I, you know, I got to do some configuration stuff. That's the least interesting sort of attack, right? From a, a security perspective. The most interesting attack is called an elevation of privilege attack. And that's where you either have no rights to do something and you get some rights, like you go from a non-user user to a user or you go from a user to an administrator right 
So those yeah. are the those are the things that we like the best as security researchers, right? That's that's the money shot, right? What what insecure side chains, right? Drive chain and what RSK is planning on doing. What they do is they essentially turn, um, and it's not an exact one to one, right? Because you can you can steal some money through double spends, but it's pretty limited if you do a fifty one percent attack. But what this, what, what implementing insecure sidechains does is it takes it from, you know what, you can censor transactions, you can prevent people from moving money. It's essentially a denial of service with maybe a little bit of fun stealing on a limited basis. And if you have, say, half a billion dollars in a sidechain, now, now that same attack becomes uh, like the best elevation of privilege attack that you could hope for on Bitcoin because you can just take all of those funds. And, um, and that's, that's about the stupidest thing that you could conceive of doing. I, and we can talk about the arguments that Paul has as to why this is not a bad thing. I think we should, because I think that underlies why it is such a bad thing. Right? His responses are far more disturbing than, than just the, uh, the, the, uh, the, you know, implications on the surface. And that's why I tend to think that there's more, more maliciousness to this than ignorance. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's essentially it, right? Right now, a miner can prevent transactions from happening. Um, if we do insecure side chains, a miner can take all of the money that's in the side chain. That's, that's a really bad, uh, that's a really bad idea. Yeah. And also really quick, I wanted to interject. <clears throat> like, I also think there's problems where the incentives can actually affect the main network in, in a way that I see a lot of proponents for side chains denying. <clears throat> like for instance, in a merge mine side chain in, in the original proposal, not looking at Paul's blind merge mine uh, proposal. <clears throat> if fee revenue moves into that, that side chain and it's got a higher validation cost, you're raising the costs for miners to actually, you know, um, safely collect those fees because they actually have to validate everything they're including in a block to know that they're actually going to get that fee revenue. And so you kind of bring up that cost marginally for miners. And the thing that bothers me with Paul is when you look at the blind merge mining proposal is the entire rationale behind it is that a non-mining node can effectively create a block candidate and then give the vast majority of those fees to a miner to include it and still keep a little bit in profit themselves. And see what I don't like about that is for the right now, the short term, that kind of band-aids that problem of increasing the cost of mining. But when you project out to the long term and look at the fact that mining is going to trend to razor thin margins, and when you project out long term like that, if you look at the blind merge mine model with the, the profit for the non-mining nodes still existing there, that still implies that there is room to profit for the miner when those margins get really thin just by doing it themselves. And so it, it, from what I can see, unless I'm missing something, this pretty much just delays that centralization effect that it has um, on miners. And it delays it until pretty much the worst possible time that you could have that centralization factor kicking in the far future when by that time, I assume Bitcoin is a very valuable global asset and it's razor thin margins. And that would be the worst time for just a delayed centralization exacerbation to kick in for miners. Yeah, I kind of I kind of make a distinction between what I'm calling insecure sidechains and secure sidechains. 
and you know secure maybe is questionable right so there there is some interesting problems that you're some potential problems with um with mining with just the concept of side chains as a whole like if you can't steal the funds and they function maybe they screw with the incentives for miners i think that's that's one category that's really interesting but what what Paul is doing, I would say, is in a, and, and what RSK is doing is in the other category, and that's the category of uh, side chains that they can just have the funds drained. And as somebody that's been in security for a long time, software security, I can tell you that if something can be hacked, it will be hacked, and this can be hacked. So, from my perspective, the long term implications for mining is not really super important for insecure side chains because it's not going to be around very long, right? It's going to fill up until it. Um, is worth draining the funds, and then somebody's going to drain the funds. So anyway, yeah, so I, I think interesting conversation, but there's kind of two different categories. Just yeah, I agree. I think that uh, it was very important to uh, to uh, to uh, underline that there are two separate debates going on about uh, post-org proposal of drive chain because he proposed two BIPs. One is mer uh, blind merge mining, and the other one is the drive chain to APEG. So we, we focused the, the beginning of this conversation about uh, the first. Uh, you are right that there is also the second and there is controversy also about the second because of the reason you just explained it. I think uh, uh, Peter Tov was the main, uh, the, the more vocal exponent of this kind of, uh, of concern. Uh, I personally, I'm not so much interested in this, this second debate because it's true that in a way it could directly affect the main chain because of these uh, long-term effects. But I also think that this is uh, easily ditched because uh, this is, the, in my opinion, the least important part of the drive chain concept. So if you create a, uh, of the side chain concept, if you want to create a side chain, you need a two-way peg mechanism, but you don't strictly need uh, to leverage existing mining infrastructure. Uh, I would say that in, for most alternative ar architecture idea, maybe you want to do a DAG, uh, uh, like Tangle-like uh, sidechain, or you want to, or basically you want to use a sidechain because you want to change the proof of work model because this is not working anymore, uh, for centralization or for other concerns. For example, my concern with the actual Bitcoin mining uh, I'm running some mining operation in Bulgaria, and what uh, what scares me is that for Bitcoin mining there is no plausible deniability, which is very bad. If you run an altcoin mine, then if somebody comes to to see what you are doing, you can say that you are doing rendering or stuff. If you run an ASIC mine, then you are you are just mining Bitcoin. There is no plausible deniability, which is bad for miner anonymity. So uh, in a way, uh, I'm not so interested. In, solve, in helping the debate about merge mining, because yeah, it, it has it has bad effects, but uh, many side chains could just avoid totally to use it, and they could just uh, uh, rebootstrap another kind of uh, of uh, mining solution. I think that the the, the drive chain point uh, is what I'm passionate about, because even if drive drive chain is not secure, we need we will really need we will really use a secure way to do that. And so that's a more interesting debate, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. If we, I mean, if we do roll out something that's insecure, that's not going to advance the science of trying to build the secure side chain. It's going to delay it. Um, and so let me let me tell you guys kind of why I'm convinced that it's insecure um, to to rely on 51% of the miners not to drain all of the funds. Um, one reason is that we've seen vulnerabilities um, where miners are backdoored, right? So Bitmain, Antbleed, um, 
was a situation where everybody realized one day, oh my gosh, uh, if Bitmain wants to, they can control my miners, they can have complete control of it, and they could potentially take all the Bitcoins that I mine and send them to them. Now, that's a really terrible security issue, but it's not that bad, right? I mean, worst case scenario, you're a miner, you've got some hardware, it gets taken over by somebody that's backdoored it. You realize you're not making money, hopefully after hours, hopefully not after you know days or weeks, right? Because you're probably watching performance if you've got a big investment. And you go in there and you, you shut them off and you figure out what's going on. You update the firmware, you do what you got to do, right? Um, it, it could be very, very bad, right? But, and everybody freaked out, right? We were all very concerned about it at the time, but that's the kind of the worst that could happen in that case. Now, if there was half a billion dollars or, you know, you have multiple side chains built on the same thing and we have a few billion dollars floating around, then an attacker that, um, that has access to own everybody's miners for a short period of time, they're able to steal all of that money. And what that means is that now you have maybe a billion dollars in budget to go around and, and compromise as many of the miners as you can. If you're the manufacturer, that's obviously a lot of incentive and that's what happened with Amplead. But if you have a billion dollar bounty, um, that's gonna attract some very intelligent and crafty security professionals and uh, maybe even state actors, right? So we don't, we don't wanna create a ton of incentives to destroy our own network. So this is not an opt-in, right? Like the, the argument against that is, hey, you know, let the market figure it out. This is just an opt-in situation. If you don't want your money at risk, don't put your money at risk. I don't, I won't put my money in a 51% vulnerable side chain, but that doesn't mean that, uh, that Bitcoin can't be compromised. Um, and it doesn't mean that the price of Bitcoin wouldn't be damaged because when, uh, when an exchange is hacked, people have a really hard time understanding that that wasn't a Bitcoin hack, right? We, we saw a ton of damage to the Bitcoin brand and adoption after Mt. Gox. Um, and slowly people have, somewhat realized or at least maybe there's been enough time that I, I would say the average person still thinks bitcoin was stolen that there was a vulnerability in it and you know whatever but now try explaining to somebody that no it, it was a layer two thing it's fine it's not really bitcoin oh but it's not lightning don't worry lightning is fine right lightning lightning we absolutely need and that's a layer two thing but that's a secure layer two thing so it's bitcoin but it's a layer two thing which is critical to bitcoin but I shouldn't worry about it even though it got hacked. That's a very hard message to communicate. And I think we would see a big impact on, on Bitcoin price if that happened. And so that creates another big pile of money and a big incentive to hack these things as well. Because if I can short Bitcoin and then execute this attack, you know, maybe there's another couple billion dollars. And the last thing that we want is $5 billion uh, on our heads, right? That's not a good situation to be in. Um, and so that, that's, that's why I'm, I'm very questionable if you could give these guys the benefit of the doubt, um, given the, the stubbornness to try to get this thing implemented. Um, cause it's, you know, from, a, from a security standpoint, I think it's very, very obviously a catastrophe. Well, like, yeah. uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go. Oh, I'm, I was just going to mention like, a, you know, that I think it's, uh, you know, all this is necessary, like you're saying to experiment and try to find, you know, these new routes to do things that we need to uh, grow the network. But, um, you know, like, uh, I think this is all like, you know, like we're saying like theory as far as how this is going to play out and everything. And, um, you know, like, uh, I still wonder like how this lightning network's going to scale. And like, if we see Mimblewimble kind of come out independently and how that could work, like, uh, standing side by side and like, you know, if people 
how exactly is it going to play out? I'm, you know, like, I think that's where it's like, we're kind of digging into this and I'm wondering just like, how does Paul get a, uh, a movement behind him unless he like stirs up some sort of hornet's nest. And it's just like, this is like where I've kind of been going back and back and forth with all these attacks. It's like, these guys are just trying to get momentum and the space is small enough to where the only real way that maybe they see it is to just sort of bring out a bat and see if people start coming to their side. And, um, you know, it's just like making me wonder, like we haven't seen this model come out cor correctly yet. And, um, you know, like that's just like the standard. Everybody right now, whenever they want to grab a, a movement, they just pull out a bat and sort of see if people come to their side. And um, yeah, just, you know, that's where it's like, I, I don't want to say he's malicious. He's just like kind of at a loss for a place to go to try and get support. But, uh, you know, I don't know, like I'm saying, this is all theory. Okay, so so Giacomo, yeah. what what does Paul say, right? Like, what do the guys that are proposing this say um, when you tell them, "Hey, look, we're not we we don't think it's a good idea that um, fifty one percent of the miners could steal all the funds." That sounds like a really uh, a much less um, firm security footing than we're on now, and we really think that that's not a good idea. We should wait and find a secure way to do it. What, what what's their response, and how do they how do they justify this thing? The first response is the one you already mentioned and already debunked, which is uh, it's just opt-in. So it doesn't affect the money of people not putting money there, uh, which is uh, also, I mean, you already proved that argument basically wrong. Uh, some counter counter argument could be that, uh, I mean, I could say, yeah, but that's true even for uh, Bitfinex or so you just cannot do an exchange. Otherwise, that's an attack on Bitcoin or that's true for Liquid. Because if uh, liquid guys uh, of Blockstream st st steal all the money, then they are attacking the main chain the same the same model. Uh, actually, uh, this is a good counter counter argument, but it doesn't uh, it does obscure three main things. The first thing is that uh, miners, unlike uh, federates of the sidechain or proprietary of uh, an exchange, miners uh, are actually perceived to be a part of the security model of Bitcoin. So as you said, to make the difference between uh, Bitcoin and an exchange or between Bitcoin and a bunch of federates, it's already uh, pretty much difficult. To make the difference between Bitcoin and a merge mine uh, drive chain would be uh, borderline impossible. So uh, it's very difficult to, uh, to, to, to keep people protected from this kind of danger if they think that the security model is the same of Bitcoin, which is not. So it's a problem of deception of, uh, of the market, which is uh, the same reason why an honest altcoin, uh, um, uh, I mean, uh, supposing you can have an honest altcoin, would be better than be cash pretending to be Bitcoin. So if, if you do an altcoin, fine, but if you are using the Bitcoin name, try, trying to say that you are Bitcoin, that's bad and that creates more confusion. And a drive chain could actually have this kind of impact uh, which is different from an exchange or a, or, a, or, a, or a federated chain. And also the second problem is that you're not uh, just uh, trusting uh, the good behavior of a new set of actors, but of a set of, uh, set of actors that already have a stake on chain, on the main chain, they, already, they are playing power games already uh, on the main chain and we have precedents of their, they, them trying directly. So it's not an hypothetical attack. These same people that will have the 51% power to steal the money is the same people that already tried just a few months ago an actual attack on the main chain. The third argument that you actually raised up in our previous conversation is that 
federates of a side chain, federated side chain or exchange owners are kind of uh, nominally known. They are kind of uh, uh, known people with some kind of uh, reputational or even legal uh, responsibility and liability for what they do. So if uh, uh, did we lose? They can do that, but it's an access scam with all the consequences of an access scam. While uh, if miners do that, miners are, uh, are I mean, uh, fortunately, pretty much anonymous or they. Ah, shoot. I think I've lost Paul's, you. Paul's DDoSing you. He, he, he doesn't like <laughs> 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 yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe, uh, maybe kill your kill your video and, and try to say that one more time. Okay, I try to. Uh, is it better now? You actually sound fine. It just it goes dark every once in a while. But you know what? Just just try again uh, as it is. Okay, and, I try again. Just the bandwidth cut out on us. Okay, so uh, basically, the, the the third reason was that uh, the, the miners are, and it's it will be better if miners were anonymous. And that will actually help this kind of exit scam without actually being an exit. They could take the money without exiting. So it's not like BitPhoenix or a federation. It's uh, potentially, hopefully, anonymous people uh, enabled to do this attack. So the second, uh, the second argument uh, that, they are, that they are answering to, to critics is even more crazy, and it's a conspiracy uh, because uh, because core is just a, a cult, and they are just helping the ideas of their friend, and they are rejecting the ideas of outsider. This is so ridiculous. Because I would just like to point out that Mimblewimble was not proposed by a core developer using his uh, authority and using his uh, uh, web of trust in order to be audited. Mimblewimble was proposed by an anonymous guy uh, that launched a random. Uh, uh, TXT on a chat and then disappeared without uh, without having a name, a reputation. So it's not true that the community is close to uh, to contribution that comes from outside the community. That's uh, that's proven false by the Mimbo Wimbo story. The problem is that if you put your contribution and you fit it inside a reputational attack against all the Bitcoin community. Uh, well, that's probably, uh, I mean, it's true that ideas have to work on their own legs without uh, without helps. But uh, it, it, there is, I mean, Bitcoin is a social construction. Uh, it doesn't depend on any single individual, but it does depend on uh, a lot of social interactions. So you cannot try to attack the Bitcoin development community and hope that this will help somehow the, the development of your idea. If If anything, uh, this, uh, this, this turn that Paul took will, uh, I'm sure, it will basically postpone any experimentation or any evolution on the idea of dry chain uh, for months. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because it just, uh, if, you, if you use a malicious uh, uh, look in order to propose your idea, you will be considered probably malicious and then people will prioritize other safer or, uh, or uh, well-discussed ideas. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, that, that makes sense. So then uh, the other thing that um, that really shocked me about the conversation, and this was when, in my mind, the bit flipped from maybe ignorant, maybe I'm missing something to these guys are bad guys and they're malicious and they're trying to do harm. 
And it was when, um, when you say, okay, well, what if somebody does do a 51% attack? Cause all the incentives seem to be aligned. Um, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? Like from a technology standpoint, right? Why do you think it's not going to happen? Right. And what are you going to do about it? And the answer is, well, don't, don't worry. We can just do an Ethereum style hard fork, right? We can just rewrite history on the Bitcoin blockchain. And because we're willing to do that, you know, we're not going to let half a billion dollars be stolen because we're willing to do that. Then the miners will not be incentivized to even attempt it in the first place. Right. And ultimately that's what the security relies on is if somebody steals this big bucket of money, that's, that's very available for theft. Uh, they won't be able to get very far because we'll just reverse the transaction. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. I mean, like if we look at the UASF, it, it worked, but at what cost? With uh, with what extra damage and like delays and complications? And that's still something incredibly early on in Bitcoin's history. Like imagine this with half a billion people and more than a trillion dollars at stake in the whole network. Like it, it's not going to happen. It right. just and, won't work. And for me personally, if that happens, that proves that Bitcoin's not reliable. Because for me, what makes Bitcoin interesting is the idea that it's immutable is the, the word that we use. But to me, it's just secure, right? If I do a transaction, that transaction won't be reversed. Even if it's not popular, even if it pisses people off, even if there's a big uh, you know political campaign against me, um, I, that money is my money and you can't take it even if I'm not popular. Right. That's what makes Bitcoin valuable. And so if it's true that we could just override it, um, then it's not interesting. And obviously that's true. Not true. Right. I mean, Ethereum couldn't even do that. And it's full of people that have very little interest in uh, in trying to create secure money. Um, so the idea that that's a that's a solution tells me that um, that we've we've left honest inquiry and we've moved on to just full on lying. Yeah, or, or yeah, lying or being very, very, very naive uh, for I, I don't know. Okay, I will not try to in the, in the, to inquire further the motivation. Anyway, I agree. Uh, even if you counter, even if you respond that actually that will not be a charge back, charge back, but just a blacklisting. So I will stop the withdrawal from happening before it happens. So it's not a charge back, but still you are basically uh, assuming that uh, that on Bitcoin we will have uh, easy coordination in order to blacklist people. So uh, your argument is valid even if you don't assume an ex-post action. Basically, Bitcoin is strong because it's not trivial to coordinate a, an attack in order to change Bitcoin's rules. If you assume that it gets not only uh, trivial, but even uh, cyclically trivial. So, uh, I mean, uh, UASF was a big, big gamble. It could have resulted in a split of the chain. At the end, I just went along it, we, it, it uh, as anybody else, but it was a serious gamble and probably not worth it for, for, for having Segwit before. But uh, that was thought like una tantum, like just one off. We do this because this is a special moment, but if you can do that routinely, uh, basically you, you are assuming that Bitcoin is easy to change uh, whenever there is something happening routinely, which is just, yeah, ass assuming Bitcoin doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if, if US, UASF was over something like increasing the 21 million cap or stealing people's funds, I think there's no question that it would have failed. 
and um, it would have resulted in, you know, something like we have with Bcash, right? Maybe maybe even less interesting because it would have been harder to, to sell those kind of security issues or, or compromises um, to existing investors. Um, so I'm still very uh, confident that that's not going to happen with Bitcoin because, it, it, you know, existing investors really don't want to be made poor. And even if you can deceive us about a lot of things, it's pretty hard to deceive us that if you increase the number of transactions or if you create a system where I can't depend on the transactions, even if I'm not pop popular, that it's going to be good for me. Um, and I hope that's the case. But if it ever doesn't become the case, I will be following that whatever chain is the secure chain, right? Even if it's the minor chain, even if it's the chain that has a smaller market cap or smaller value, because I believe in the long run that a secure money is going to have the best chance of becoming money. Um, so the, the whole idea of just cutting that concept, uh, cutting the throat of that concept, um, just is uh, absurd. And, and not doing it because we've had some catastrophic situation, right? Uh, doing it, uh, going into it and treating that as if it's a security feature, right? That, that's, that's just too much for me to believe could be ignorance for anybody that's been in the space for more than six months. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the other players that are involved here are RSK and you look at somebody like Sergio, he was, um, he was a security researcher before he got into Bitcoin. So he knows very intimately the difference between an elevation of privilege and a DOS attack. And, um, and he, he knows that this is not, uh, not something that, you know, like the broader security research community would say, oh yeah, that's not, that's not a really, really bad idea. So I haven't, I haven't talked with him, right. Maybe he has, uh, maybe he has a different perspective or maybe he'll be able to, to clarify at some point, but, um, yeah. but, but I'm, not, I'm not uh, naive enough, uh, in, in my view to believe that this could be accidental. Yeah, a little caveat is that right now Rustok is actually a federation, so it's similar to Liquid without the secure hardware. Uh, but the problem is that they announced they want to move to a drive chain slash uh, uh, merge mining uh, setup. So uh, for now, uh, for now Rustok is uh, doesn't have the same risk profile than uh, than the drive chain idea per se. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, and, and you know, I I hope that. Um... I hope they stay with that and I hope that it's not just a way to sort of boil the frog, right? Build up, build up consensus, build up um, some support and then implement something that is a, that's a huge security vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, re really quick to kind of speak to my opinion on motives, at least in Paul's case is I, like, honestly, I like, I really liked Paul. Like, you know, I've had a lot of good interactions with him before, but I just I honestly think that it's a combination of him just being very attached to this idea because of how much time he's sunk into it. And also maybe just a little bit, I don't think that he really sees Bitcoin like a lot of us do. I think he sees it as something that can grow and stay important, even if a lot of the core value propositions are, are lost or degraded over time, and that it's not really as big of an issue to kind of present this kind of security model that affects the main system because maybe he just doesn't see Bitcoin as maintaining these kinds of qualities forever. And I mean, it's I, I really sad to see him go so personally into these attacks because it's, it's just like, Paul, like I, if that is the case and I'm not just kind of projecting here, well, like a lot of us just think differently. 
and oh, like, so we're not okay with those trade-offs. I think I can actually, uh, I can actually uh, deny the, the sec your second theory. But I mean, at least based on what he said to me, uh, we discussed it a lot in Milan about his idea, and he said, "I think that uh, that Bitcoin main chain should be completely impossible." He then say that, but that, that of course that contradicts the idea of USA, USAF, SF in order to 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 protect the funds. But he said, "I think that uh, probably Segwit." And maybe drive chain should be the the last modification, and then we could stay with the main chain, which is actually uh, impossible to change forever because we can actually enable any kind of innovation outside of it. So his original motivation was actually to create drive chain in order to make the main chain even more uh, immutable. But of course, uh, as we just said, uh, then the security model of the drive chain proved to be not secure at all. And now is is relying on, on change consensus changes uh, to make that secure. So uh, I don't think that his original in, in, uh, his original position was uh, Bitcoin can change trivially. I think he, he had to to get to that uh, clearly nonsensical position because of the first reason you said that. That's at least my opinion. Uh, it's hard to work on an idea to put a lot of energy, time, and uh, money actually of a uh, block on that idea, uh, to have some kind of running code, uh, to have people that tells you, I mean, Adam Beck tells you that that's a good idea. Uh, everybody tells you that that's an interesting idea, but then some major flow in your logics makes this idea not viable right now. And then you just well, have I mean, to, to take it. Matt was the guy that came up with this idea, not Paul, right? Uh, Matt Corello. Um, as far as I know, he was the one that wrote that wrote the first paper on the concept. And he, from day one, was saying, look, we're not pursuing this because it has this huge security issue and we haven't figured out a solution for it. So I think I think you guys are being um, really, really generous. And I appreciate that about like the nature of, of both you and Shinobi, that you guys are trying to find reasons that you think a decent person could end up in this state. For example, having just a ton of sunk costs, just really thoroughly invested and then finding out there's an issue and not being able to reconcile that, right? I think that's that's a that would be a very plausible thing. But I don't think that the evidence uh, and the, the, the sort of the timeline really adds up with so, those sort of things. And I think, you know, just to put this in context from my sort of overall perspective, there's two big ways to make money in Bitcoin. One is to invest in Bitcoin and the other is to invest in altcoins um, and uh, ICOs and kind of just general scammery, right? And, and market manipulation. And, um, and for somebody to put a ton of time into something that was abandoned by the original designer because of a security issue, to work on that, spend a lot of money, spend a lot of time on that, and then turn around and say, no, it's fine because we can just rewrite the history of Bitcoin. That's just too much, man. I mean, we're just, we're going way too far. That's beyond generous. And that's looking at somebody that's just, you know, punched your wife in the face and ran off with your purse and saying, maybe they confuse this with somebody else. It's just too much. And then, you know, you, you also mentioned who's funding this, right? Yeah, yeah, block. But uh, yeah, uh, the, the the sad thing is that even if I'm not convinced of what you are saying, the, the thing is that in an adversarial uh, ecosystem like Bitcoin, it, when you are in doubt, you between malicious or non-malicious, you do have to assume malicious. So I'm not convinced of what you're saying, but I think that the safe 
the safe mode right now would be to assume this is a malicious attack anyway because of how the system is uh, uh, is set so uh yeah okay so yeah so i mean block just for everybody that doesn't know is essentially jeff garzik so jeff garzik is the one that's funding this development um, he's been behind, you know, a major a major player in basically every significant attack on Bitcoin uh, over the last several years. Um, you know, for what it's worth, it's a fact. You know, m maybe that's coincidental, right? Um, uh, also, I, I would add uh, also Roger Ver uh, sponsored directly the drive chain uh, development of uh, Paul. So you have another point of that. I I always thought that it was uh, re casually reversed. So uh, he uh, uh, he. Uh, 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 try to find a way to leverage the big block side in order to help uh, to boost his idea. So for what I'm, I've seen, uh, the fact that Paul contacted Gian to, for help, the fact that he, uh, he accepted money from Jeff and from Roger was exactly because he said, uh, that this is the possible solution that makes everybody happy and I will try to divert big blockers effort from the hard fork to this other idea. Uh, but of course, if you just list the names, the names are, are those. So again, uh, yeah. Right, right. So, so again, you know, I mean, the people that have been behind all the major attacks are now funding this. It's uh, obviously an attack and the explanations are absurd, but maybe this is, you know, maybe there's some good hardness here. I don't buy it, but I, I appreciate there's there's people in the world that are that have had less exposure to con men on a daily basis than your typical security researcher because i guarantee you if you tell this story to anybody at black hat uh you know they're not gonna they're not gonna hesitate to uh to attribute um motives but then let's look at the other side right because there's the, the other guys that are just just more quiet in play um former security researcher and and sergio damon learner who's been involved with bitcoin have those guys been involved in any previous attacks or any reason to believe that they might have ill motives here Well, I mean, I to like go back a little bit to the issue of like the block funding. Like, I, I usually try to temper uh, the the tinfoil hat uh, side of my speculations on the show. But I mean, if you really want to try to connect as many dots there, going back to malicious um, like actions or plans, then you really got to draw a line between Garzik, Andreessen, and Mike Hearn. And really look at a lot of the things that Hearn was proposing in day one. He, he was an open advocate for minor blacklists and, and effectively using chain analytics to kind of build up lists of coins that you could give out to merchants who would then refuse uh, like payments and contact law enforcement and so on and so forth. And the, the issue with that is it's kind of hard to get miners to comply if they're very decentralized and distributed. And so that that kind of feeds into a lot of the big pushes for block size increases, which would have very rapidly changed the the mining landscape uh, into a more um, like degraded version of what we have today, where it's a lot easier to kind of bribe those miners, and then kind of roll forward a little bit more and look at Jeff, um, you know, starting Block, the investments that they made in Scry for chain analytics, 
And then also look at uh, some of the things out of MIT labs, such as the chain anchor proposal, which uh, Peter Todd did a very good write up on, where they were effectively um, constructing a way to build an ID system on top of Bitcoin as the second layer, and then actually um, monetarily incentivize, effectively bribe miners to only mine um, like, uh, transactions tied to the second layer ID system and slowly roll over to the point where it's a transition period, like miners are participating and then eventually you've got the majority and can now orphan blocks that are trying to um, mine non-ID transactions. And if you really like take all of that into account and then look at the design of a drive chain and look at what the proposed security measure is, effectively a user activated soft fork or hard fork, then you're effectively creating a balloon you can just fill and fill and fill with money until you pull that attack and then leverage all of that value as the excuse to set that precedent moving towards blacklisting and kind yeah. of centralizing and censoring things. Or you don't attack it because of many uh, game theory reasons that Paul is uh, often uh, mentioning, but you threat to attack it and you use this threat as a leverage for any other possible side attack. So it's not even necessary that you take that money. You can just, uh, you can just actually uh, thread to take it uh, if something else doesn't happen. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot of connections there. It is always surprising to me how short the list of bad actors is in the space. Um, the, the list of people that contribute to core and um, are trying to start companies and do good things seems like it's a huge list. Like I, I, I definitely don't, don't see the same names, you know, 50 times. Uh, but when you're looking at things that over the last eight years could have destroyed Bitcoin, it's like a dozen guys. Um, so um, what what I was referring to with uh, Sergio Damon Lerner is that he was a big uh, supporter of Segwit2x, right? And so we've got less, I think, history with with him to be able to say, hey, this guy's doing it definitely on purpose. He hasn't he hasn't really engaged us in dialogue, so I haven't heard from him. Hey, don't worry about it. Um, no problem. We're just going to destroy the whole value of the network, right? So I would say I have less reason to believe that he's being malicious, but. Um, but honestly, anybody that attacks the network and uh, does so with an attack that had a reasonable chance of really damaging Bitcoin in an irreparable way. Um, and, you know, it was attack that was a five year attack. Right. I mean, like you guys said it, the, the big block uh, centralization of mining strategy was a really, really long period of time. And SDL jumped in on the last most viable push. So. It's really hard to extend ignorance uh, for me, but you know, you guys, you guys, you know, like, like you said, you, you assume bad motives when something's an adversarial network like Bitcoin. Anyway, I think that's a good call, but but I do think it's good to um, it's good to mentally categorize uh, categorize people and actions, um, and it'll it'll help us, you know, see maybe the next one coming. Uh, there is one thing specifically related to block that as in Jeff Garzik's company block that I want to point out that I think is um, very uh, related and important to the fact that they will be, you know, creating something where it will make it easier to steal the funds out of. Um, because uh, one of the things that we reported on in December was the fact that um, Garzik 
started this whole United Bitcoin thing, which was a UTX fork that would basically um, redistribute coins from so-called inactive addresses to other entities. And I guess for some reason they wanted to redistribute it to Ethereum and then a United Bitcoin foundation. Um, so clearly, I mean, that would be the biggest red flag for me because that means they've demonstrated a willingness to basically take funds from people's addresses. Like, yes, it's a UTXO fork, so it doesn't affect, you know, our Bitcoin if we stay on the main chain, but it's obviously if that chain were to get adopted, then people would be losing money. And so I think if he's already, if a company like that has already shown a willingness to create something like that, uh, it makes me very nervous about the fact that they're also funding something that could create a security model that would allow something like that to happen. Yeah, and, um, you know, just going back to whenever I was saying, like, you know, it's hard to gain support around uh, the space because it's so small and everything. I think you made a great point about Mimblewimble, Giacomo. Like, you know, that just, like, came in, dropped off, and uh, huge support. And, um, you know, it's just like a... You know, like we're saying about just like all these actors lining up and everything, I guess, you know, yeah. And you do have to sort of take an adversarial position when you're looking at all the game theory and all this stuff. So, you know, as much as like I, I kind of agree with Shinobi where it's like I like Paul, you know, it's like we I've sort of been following him for a long time. It's like, you know, you kind of have to take that position of like this is uh, this is adversarial and, you know, it's an attack. And, you know, I guess you have to assume, you know, bad intentions just to try and shore up the, the defense as much as possible. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a good segue to the good news of this whole story, in my, in my opinion. And that is, I think we've discovered a solution, right? So uh, when you're doing security research, you don't want to just break things. You want, to, you want to be able to design solutions because that's more fun. It's always more fun to build than just to break. And uh, I feel like we've got a really good solution. And that is, if you think about the way that this is being set up, it's basically something like the DAO, right? Where there's a big bunch of money and there's a way to drain all of that money. Um, and everybody acknowledges the way to drain all that money is a certain set of actions, right? Uh, do, do a certain uh, type of mining with 51% of the miners, right? You're allowed to, you're allowed to, to, to transfer the funds. So I think the solution is simply just to acknowledge that fact and then be open and transparent about an effort to drain those funds. So what what I've what I've said in the threat model is that as long as uh, people like Paul understand that we're aware that this is an attack and we're not we're not good with it, and that those funds represent um, you know a real economic threat to Bitcoin, and so we're motivated to to basically reduce those funds to zero drain them, do whatever we have to do to, to protect Bitcoin and protect existing holders. And, you know, frankly, other people that are going to get suckered into putting their money into something that's insecure. Um, and then we can just publicly say, you know, we are going to drain the funds, right? And we are going to um, sort of publish our progress towards doing that, right? Maybe we only start out with 2% of the miners signaling a willingness to pull the funds. Um, but that's enough to where I think most users would be aware of it, right? They're not, it's, it's gonna be very hard to convince somebody to put money into an account, even if there's just a small number of miners that have already said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the money if, it's, if, if it gets big enough, right? Um, and I think the, the other effect would be as the, as the pot gets bigger, more and more miners would say, oh, yeah, that's probably in my best interest to, to pull those funds. And some of them would be motivated 
um, because they want to signal and prevent the network from being damaged. And some of them would just want to grab the cash. Um, but I think the net effect of a clear open willingness to drain those funds is that um, the attackers themselves are not going to be very motivated to even complete the software project. So my personal feeling is that now that that's clear, it's been articulated, uh, you know, like we've kind of, we've done the muck raking. Um, I really don't see these things getting deployed um, because nobody wants to create a vulnerability that they're not likely to be able to exploit. And if they do get to exploit it, it's not going to have very much funds in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always best to be proactive in these kinds of things. I mean, we, we've all seen how quick attacks and problems can come out of nowhere. But uh, I think we've uh, plumbed the, the entire sidechain model to the depths and hopefully left everybody with a good understanding of the, the trust models involved. So I guess uh, Lightning Network's on the horizon. How are people going to deal with, uh, you know, giant $30 fees and whatnot opening channels? I mean, that's going to be a big, oh, whoops. $30 fees? Uh, anywhere? <laughs> Can anybody see any? <laughs> yeah, that's when the fee market will push people to open Lightning Channel. Uh, the spam attack doesn't seem so important to, to run anymore. Curious. Mm -hmm. it, it's always really suspicious timing uh, when you know the, the the giant fees come plummeting down. It, it's never an organic like slow. Dis it's just poof right off the cliff. Yeah, I think that's a uh, you know just a great example of like you're saying like you know people wanting to use lightning and um, you know. The spam situation clearing up a little bit and uh yeah definitely a good time to push a transaction through and i need to hurry up and sync this lightning note so i could catch uh you know catch this break while it's here yeah uh is coinbase consolidating all those utxos because now's the time to do it that's probably why they were never worried about it because they knew that it was spam and they knew it was you know going to be impractical to keep funding forever I'm honestly kind of really shocked to just like, like how could they not keep it going at, at this level? Because there's really a lot of sophisticated things that you can do. I mean, uh, I, I don't have the, the source available now, but it's, it's definitely in a, in a past episode. I'll try and dig up in a second where um, we, we've seen attacks where like a lot of dust outputs are peppered to other people's addresses. And then just because the fee estimate is, is very poorly done on the wallet side, the wallet will overpay fees and the miners don't really have to do much more than pepper dust and lose a, a tiny bit of money for the increase that can cause in fees. And it's, there's, there's really a lot more games you can kind of tactically play besides just flood the network with transactions. But yeah, no, there are, but this, this attack, the one that they're do, they were doing wasn't, wasn't costless, right? The mining empty blocks and shoving a lot of, uh, garbage transactions in, you're not getting all of them and maybe they're getting less and less, right? I mean, the hash power is going up. So maybe the guys that, that were behind it just, it was getting more and more expensive. I mean, I, I think it's probably safe to say that it was getting too expensive or they'd still be doing it. And we can theorize as to why, unless, you know, unless they're going to just giving us a break so that it has a bigger impact when they do it again soon. But I really would like to think that 
um, that lightning has just made it clear that it's not a cost-effective attack anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... I mean, it's definitely not been pleasant dealing with the fee market, but, you know, regardless of it happening a lot faster every time this happens than, than I would think it would. I mean, eventually they're going to bleed themselves out of money and it's like there's really nothing you can do but wait. And all the stopgap Band-Aid solutions that people propose, aka just raise the block size like all you're going to do is just make this problem worse and make it cheaper and just keep lengthening the time horizon on which these kinds of attacks are actually viable but uh, i really hate to be bringing up i think like a third story in a month uh, along this note though but i'm sure everybody's heard about the attempted exchange robbery in, in canada <laughs> this like this is i think becoming a, a full-on trend i mean if if we go in the uh the motherboard article one of the employees was actually hit in the face with a gun and they were pretty much all tied up in the office and thankfully they didn't um didn't actually get any bitcoins but like this really is becoming a full-on trend at this point like there are like cryptocurrency robberies are a thing now. They're not just the, the fluke circumstance that you, the one person found themselves in and, and it just happened. Like there are actually people out there seeing this, realizing this, putting this together and actually planning these kinds of robberies. Yeah. And I also want to point out, because uh, before I came on the show, there was a story that I saw that someone from Oxfordshire in, I think, yeah, that would be so. Basically, a UK trader. Um, he had someone attack uh, him at his home. So it's not even just exchanges. It's traders. It's anyone who's um, into Bitcoin. Like, I can't imagine if you were if you're a person who's trading. I, I mean, I know you guys like to hang out in the chat rooms and talk about all that stuff and where you're traveling and all that. But I feel like that's like the amount of risk traders take by doing that especially if it's especially if they're bragging about how much money they're making or how much money they have i i you have you guys have to be extremely careful because anyone can become a victim of this kind of stuff especially if you're you know if you if your location is known your general location they don't even have to know where your house is they can just hang out in the town where you say you live for a while and see if they can find you um, and, and it's worth it. If you have a lot of Bitcoin, it's worth it for them to just hang out for like several days waiting for you to show up and then find where your house is. And, um, I've also noticed that traders in general, if they don't have an information security background, most of them are not good at hiding their location anyway in the first place, just through the use of their devices. And so, um, that definitely needs to be worked on better. But yeah, this is a huge vulnerability that businesses are getting attacked and people as well. Yeah, it's just like a, yeah, another great example of just like how much it's important to take care of, uh, you know, to just mind your P's and Q's if you're in the space at all and like, uh, you know, just be on the lookout. And, um, you know, I I think that that, uh, that Ottawa situation turned out all right. Like um, nobody really got in and, you know, but they were attempting to. And yeah, I mean, just as 
time goes on, it's just going to be more and more something where everybody's got to pay attention to. And um, I don't know, hopefully it'll just start to, I don't know, hopefully there'll be some something where it just seem like uh, it's not worth it anymore for these attacks to try and happen, but it's hard to imagine that's going to happen. I mean, as value goes up, more people are just going to try and get it. So. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, if we want to to see the silver lining of this uh, this problem that is getting more that is getting worse and worse, is that uh, as any kind of uh, trouble, it, this will also be useful to learn, and this will teach people one security. So uh, basically, lock bitcoins into multi-sig or time-locked. I mean, security, good security, uh, in order for for kidnappers and, and and thieves to know that you cannot access to your Bitcoin just like is a common knowledge about uh, bank robberies or, uh, or, uh, or, or, or stuff like that. And the second is anonymity. So right now we have traders with their face on, uh, I mean, uh, Killoran mask is, uh, is a good example of uh, what do you usually do when you work in a, in a security critical environment. Uh, be a core developer, which is anonymous, is better than be a core developer with a name uh, renowned. Uh, myself, I, I probably use my, my face uh, enough. Uh, we should be more anonymous. We should have probably more anonymous business than nom nominal business. And uh, people will also be incentivized, incentivized to uh, actually protect the Bitcoin uh, fungibility and anonymity on chain. Because if it's very easy for, uh, for, for people to de-anonymize people on chain, as it is unfortunately right now, then everybody will have more incentives to actually work on stuff like uh, Lightning, Schnorr, uh, Mass, confidential transactions, and, and stuff like that. Because uh, uh, this kind of uh, de-anonymization uh, tactics are so easily to implement right now that uh, everybody is at, at risk because it, everybody can see how many, how, how much money do you have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I. I, I'm not a huge Bitcoin holder. I don't have a ton of money, uh, you know, sitting around in my house, but it, you don't have to have a lot in order to have more than the bank down the street, right? The bank down the street has bulletproof glass if it's anywhere near a freeway in the United States. Um, and they typically try to keep less than $10,000 in bills on premises at any time. And those guys get robbed all the time. So if you've got three or four thousand dollars and you don't have bulletproof glass and you're closer to a freeway and you're talking about untraceable electronic cash versus uh, bills that are very likely, you know, uh, there's there's a decent chance that those things got scanned at some point in the process, right? Um, you, you're you're looking at a much riskier situation than if your house was a bank, um, and you, you really got to take that into account. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've been having the uh, the the pro gun anti gun conversation with with a lot of Bitcoiners lately. And I mean, if if you're uncomfortable with with guns or or you don't like guns, I mean, there are other things you can do, like get get a dog, you know, get get some kind of security system. But if if you aren't comfortable in, in taking that final measure yourself in, in owning something like a firearm, like at least do something that adds some higher cost or some way for you to disincentivize it you know it like takes some kind of action don't don't just hear like people kind of shoving the the, the gun argument at you and just 
like not take any kind of security precautions because you're not comfortable with the the one proposal that somebody's adamantly throwing in your face like at least do something yeah i mean it, it's the it's the you don't have to be faster than you, uh, the bear you just have to be faster than your friend sort of story right you don't want to be the softest target around uh, with the most incentive to to consume you right and again the bank down the street with the bulletproof glass and less than $10,000 of cash on premises very often has an armed security guard. So if you don't want to be the best place to go for money, you're going to have to either have a lot less money or have more security than the bank down the street. It's just simple incentives. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think if you just keep that in mind, right, you keep in mind the sort of existing playing field and how often those people are robbed, it'll it'll probably create a whole different mindset, I hope. You guys like always get me so worried because I'm like running around with like a very obvious location in my face, like just like for anybody to see. But yeah, like um, you know, I, I don't know. I've like uh been thinking about taking some jujitsu classes and uh carrying a little blade with me or something, and uh, you know, I keep an eye out, but I don't know. For the most part, I uh, I hope that we can find a solution to this where people will start to realize, like, you know, this it's not worth it in the long run. Yeah. Kind of like the consensus on Robin Banks. And also the thing with Andreas Antonopoulos set a very bad precedent, because if now you go on Twitter, you say, guys, I'm not so, so much Bitcoin rich. People will start to donate you money. And so you will end up being provably rich. And that's a very, very bad security situation. Yeah, I think uh, Samurai Wallet's trying to fix that with those payment nims that they got coming up. Yeah, d please do not donate to me. I don't want to have more money than I can secure. I really don't want a price on my own head. Thank you. <laughs> well, if you want, uh, if you want kind of a hilarious option, there I heard a story of an American woman who trained her yard squirrels to. Um, attack intruders and apparently that was very effective not because the squirrels are naturally excellent at attacking people but because people are so stunned by the fact that they're getting attacked by squirrels <laughs> that it kind of works so if you want to go that route train your if you're in an area that has squirrels apparently you can train them to attack people <laughs> so guys multi-sig plausible deniability account on your hardware wallet and squares that's a good rundown and drop a thousand bucks and pick up an AR-15 if you're in the United States and spend, you know, 200 bucks on some training and uh, either that or hire an armed guard if you've got more than 10,000 bucks on premises. <laughs> it never hurts to pick up a, a dumbbell or two either, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's just all about do something and not nothing because uh, some exuberant person like me decides to use it as uh, the, the pro gun time <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, how much more time uh, you got uh, Giacomo uh, you got enough time for the next story on the credit ratings yeah I think I have to leave you uh, right now uh, if possible I just I just wanted to leave uh, uh, one quick uh, uh, flash about sidechain the, the discussion yeah. that we had doesn't mean that there aren't uh, interesting option uh, out there about uh, secure sidechains. Actually, Gregory Maxwell already uh, in 2014 wrote about the possibility to use uh, uh, ZK Snarks, the same technology which is used in a way that, okay, let's not open that 
that topic. Anyway, the same technology which is used <laughs> by Zcash, uh, Gregory said it could be used to create proof that the state of the coin on the sidechain is this without having the nodes validating the sidechain. So you could use zero knowledge proof. He called that uh, basically coin witness. Uh, it was a lot of time ago. The reason is not there is not an active proposal right now is basically because uh, zk snarks are not ready, and then they are, they have been already surpassed by zk starks and then zk boo, uh, and so it's a it's a it's a field uh, which is moving too fast to to build reliable solutions on it. But uh, it's interesting, so I'm not uh, lose uh, not losing hopes about uh, uh, secure side chains anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well said. Yeah, I'm still very, very excited about what we're going to have when it works. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's almost like it's we're making too much uh, rapid progress on the fundamentals and making them so much better at such a pace that it just doesn't make sense to try to try to spend a year coding it up when it would be obsolete before it was done. So it's kind of a good problem to have and uh, still very, uh, very excited about what we're going to have on sidechains. Yeah, so thank I you very much for having me here. I'm sorry, but I, I, I need to leave you for the rest of the of the news. Oh, Thank you. Okay. There's a pleasure having you for the first half, Giacomo. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. See you next time. Bye. Later, later. All right. Well, I guess, uh, JW, uh, I think you're going to know which link uh, I need in addition to this. Um, but woo-wee. Cryptocurrency credit ratings, everybody. Okay, oh, I, I, I can't do anything but highlight this. Um, say insert laugh and then kick that off the screen because this whole thing is a freaking joke. Yeah, it's oh, uh, we're not gonna make a bit more fun of it. I mean, there's a lot of hilarious things in that article. Okay, we, we can go through it and make fun of it, but I, I can't take any of this seriously on any level. <laughs> Yeah, so I think, well, one of the things I thought was hilarious, I don't know if it's in this article or possibly another one that they posted, but they, they spent a lot of time explaining how they're not like the same credit agencies that caused the, the financial crisis in 2008. They're like, we're different from them. First of all, our rating system is different. We have like A, B, C, D instead of A, B, C or something like that. But they, they went to a lot of effort to like explain how they're not like that. Except, uh, you know, I mean, essentially the problem here is is not we're not necessarily doubting um, that you know whether you can function as a credit agency or whether you are you're you're the least scammy of the scammers. Um, I think the problem is that the the metrics on which you you know rated these cryptocurrencies or tokens is uh, fundamentally flawed because the, I think the two the two main reasons they said they gave Bitcoin uh, a C instead of a B was uh, environmental concerns. It's there, uh, you know, uses too much energy. And <laughs> we've talked about why that's bullshit a number of times. Uh, and the second one was, I think, scaling issues in general or something like that. Um, I was like, you know, that that's a really poor reason to use because Bitcoin has been around the long, or no, it was actually fees. I think it was fees, the reason. So the problem is fees. And it's like, first of all, anyway, scaling fees are kind of related, but Bitcoin has been around for, you know, over nine years now. Uh, 
you know, it's it's done pretty well with its scaling issues. It hasn't had to do an emergency hard fork like Ethereum. Uh, the fees, the fee problems are a temporary issue. That's one of the biggest things is that people think that the fee situation is a long-term thing and it's actually, most, most of the time it's a temporary issue. So all of these things are apparently the reason why they gave Bitcoin a C and Ethereum gets a B. Um, I like how it said, it says there on that, despite um, some bottlenecks, some bottlenecks. <laughs> But the, I mean, I I would be okay, I guess, like, if you gave Ethereum and Bitcoin the same rating, like, that would, I would accept that. I still think it would be a bit ridiculous, but it wouldn't make me think, like, I wouldn't make me question their judgment as much. But to say that Ethereum gets a higher rating than Bitcoin, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, how is Steam above Bitcoin? (laughs) What? What? (laughs) Because, it, Rick, it has a social network. It has, like, a utility attached to it. That's why. Oh, okay. They got the network effects yeah. of the network, I guess. <laughs> what? I mean, it's, I mean it's, its value has gone down, like, over 90% since its creation. But whatever. It's, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's really comical. It really is. It's just like, yeah, we're stepping up. We're better than all the ratings agencies before. You don't have to worry about us being, like, you know, some oracle that's going to lead you to where you have no money and you're broke like um yeah it's uh i don't know it's kind of funny like you know they get hacked i think that's pretty much just like a given in this like i don't know maybe we'll start to see less of these stories as people realize like you're uh, attacking a really uh, strong network there whenever you're trying to pull some bs stuff like that and uh a lot of these guys that have value on the network spend their time you know counteracting this stuff so um you know, hopefully as time goes on, people realize like these ratings agencies are just like, they're just BS, really. Yeah. So who well, wants to bit- see? Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Jimmy. I mean, the, the thing I don't understand about the fee thing is that, you know, the whole purpose of these credit ratings agencies is to recommend things for people to invest in, which is a completely different use case than someone who wants to use Bitcoin as like a currency. Uh, where they're going to be making transactions for buying things. That's a, that's where you get affected by fees. If you're just buying Bitcoin or Ethereum to invest it, you're not going to be moving it around a lot. And so the fees don't really matter. You just wait until a time when the fees are lower. So I don't even see how giving Bitcoin a lower score because of a temporary fee situation is a reason to uh, make people stay away from it as an investment. They're just trying to pump the Ethereum nonsense. Boy wonder, everybody. We got a boy genius. So who wants to go over a little bit of a rating system set up <laughs> not based on bullshit? Exactly. Thank you. So I'll, I'll give you guys a quick overview, and then you can tell me the stuff that if, if any of it looks interesting. Basically, what I wanted to do was create something that was objective. Like, I'm obviously um, more more of a fan of Bitcoin than other technologies, Um and but I didn't want that to really uh, be an issue, right? So I didn't want to I didn't want to say like what's cool about it or what's not. So what I did with this sheet is I just tried to keep it like pure facts, right? So what you've got is my best description of the goal of what each of these top ten you know cryptocurrencies is, what they claim as their capabilities, and then what their actual capabilities are. And, uh, you know, obviously there's some technical judgment when I have to say what their actual capabilities are, but shockingly, there's not as much as you might think. Um, and I really haven't had any pushback from any of the altcoin shills that, that love this stuff 
telling me no litecoin actually there was a couple things when i when i initially created the sheet ethereum uh and uh litecoin you know i said that all of the claims were false and i i did have to step back from that because depending you know if you want to be charitable um litecoin does have more transactions per second uh, and if you want to be charitable uh ethereum has had a use case in icos right so you know but other than those like small things nobody's really pushed back on this much and um and i think the results are even shocked me as i just went through and tried to tried to put down what people say and you know basically what they kind of admit is true about the difference between what they say and what a coin can do i think the most interesting thing is the uh the market cap actually taking total supply into account and not distorting things with just temporary views which that place yeah and the yeah and the thing that surprised me most in like in general about any any of these rating systems is that i don't even know like the eos thing i i can't tell the difference between most of these coins anymore like the some of the ones that were in the credit region credit ratings i was like does that one even exist yet i don't know what is it for again like <laughs> they're giving ratings to things that like most people have never heard of like no one is actually using it and it just astounds me it's like you're really going to get try to get people to invest in something that has only existed for a few months <laughs> that seems like a bad idea yeah like uh like you were just highlighting shinobi like there's just some interesting things where it's like these ratings agencies where they just put out an a or b or c or d like this list is just like i mean like you know you're right if you distilled it down it's, it's really as comprehensive enough to where an average person should be able to look at it and get like a quick cursory glance as to what these coins are trying to achieve and whether or not they're achieving it and all this stuff. And um, yeah, just like the 11 quadrillion market cap on Ethereum, whenever you factor in that total supply is uh, just really does show like the absurdity, like um, isn't that like uh, more money than the entire amount of money on earth or something like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. By far. I mean, it's 11,000 <laughs> trillion. Um, it's, it's a, it's a number that I was sure I made a mistake on until I ran it a few times. But then when I stepped back and thought about it, Ethereum does increase the, the supply by 10% per year. Right. Um, and maybe they'll change that in the future, but all I can really say, I mean, I, if I'm going to try to guess what they're going to do, I'm going to say, no, they're going to probably leave it at the same inflation rate because the only reason they've said that they would change it is if they switched to proof of stake. We all know proof of stake is a joke. Uh, they they really don't seem to be taking steps towards doing proof of stake. Um, it's still a good story, so I don't think they want to drop it for marketing purposes. But uh, I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that they won't move to proof of stake. They'll stay with proof of work. And if they do that, you know, the inflation is 10% per year. Um, you know, U.S. inflation, U.S. dollars is maybe somewhere between three and six percent, depending on who's who's doing the calculating um, as far as the the, the supply. Um, so it's possible you could definitely run a currency with a ten percent per year inflation rate. Um, but instead of a candy bar, you know, when I was a kid, being fifty cents and now it's a dollar twenty-five, um, you're looking at something more like when I was a kid, it was fifty cents. Now it's two fifty, right? So it's it's not catastrophic. Um, but if you, uh, if you use the 120 years that we have left of issuing Bitcoins, that takes you to the year 2140. And if you apply 10% per year to Ethereum until the year 2140, you end up with, um, with a, a shockingly large number. Um, and that, that, I, that only makes sense because if you had $90 million and you invested it and you earned 10% interest per year, 
you'd come up with something pretty impressive. Um, and it's actually 10 trillion. So the, the total number of coins, if you assume they stopped when Bitcoin stops, you'd end up with 10 trillion uh, ethers. And, and that just results in some, some pretty interesting <laughs> implications. Oh, so, so you're saying uh, in terms of the inflationary effects, it would actually be better to hold the US dollar than to hold ether. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you could argue it maybe in the last few years, we have we've exceeded 10%. But I, I don't think anybody I, I, that would be there'd be like one one crazy guy saying that um, generally, the US says that they're doing two to 3% per year, the net effect seems to be more like 6% per year. Um, so I think you'd be the, by far the most pessimistic on the dollar if you said it was 10% per year. So yeah, I think, I think <laughs> if, if you believe that something is valuable because it's scarce, Ethereum might not be the investment for you. Yeah, this, the whole thing is, it's just a joke. I mean, like the, the title, uh, for Kyle's piece here, it just says it all. I mean, just looking at some of these shit coins here that they rate higher than Bitcoin. Like uh, Nick Carter here actually calls bullshit on the uh, the entire volatility argument uh, objectively with data. And I mean, even Charles Hoskinson from Ethereum Classic and Cardano is calling bullshit on the fact that Bitcoin wasn't given an A rating against everything else. I mean, like... <laughs> yeah, specifically on the... Specifically on the volatility point, um, I believe the ranking for least volatile coins, I think that the least volatile is Tether, although that may not last for very long. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was Tether, Tether, and then I, I'm, I can't remember whether the BAT token or, I mean, because, you know, the BAT token is an extremely, you know, controlled KYC environment. Um, so I believe that one I think is above Bitcoin. I'm not quite sure. It's Bitcoin and BAT are very close. But anyway, Bitcoin as the crypt as a cryptocurrency is um, is the least volatile out of all of them, besides Tether and BAT, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, and you just reminded me of that. That I had been thinking since we went on air that I completely forgot to add something to the, the show notes. And yep, this is it. So. Uh, it's when audit <laughs> what's going on uh well let's just say i know a lot about the situation i'm not going to comment very much on it to say though i did find it funny that a uh, fluffy pony said um because there is apparently a dispute coindesk uh was a bit confused as to whether the auditing agency had said they had broken up relationship with uh tether or whether Tether had broken up relationship with the auditing uh, firm. Uh, and I believe Fluffy Pony's comment was that they should change their Facebook uh, relationship status to it's complicated. Mm -hmm. I mean, ju just to speculate from my point of view, I mean, like this entire situation is, is just, it's, it's so silly at this point. I mean, Like to, to summarize, like, you know, not making any absolute comment about Finex or Tether, the specific assertions that, that Bitfinex makes on the, the fact that there are no bank accounts in existence is just ridiculous nonsense. At the same time, 
there is a lot more that Bitfinex or Tether could be doing to clarify this situation. And just like the way that that it's looked at binarily, like some kind of tribal issue where you pick a side and yell at each other is ridiculous. But my take on this piece of news personally is just that the the reputational intertwining with the auditing firm and all of the shit being thrown at Tether and Bitfinex, I think just got to a point where Friedman didn't want to deal with the, the PR aspect of things and just pulled out of it. And I mean, you know, <laughs> there's really nothing else I can say besides that except one uh, audit. <laughs> I mean, it, it shouldn't be yeah. this insanely difficult to provide some kind of proof of solvency. I mean, I, I get that yeah you know what I mean. yeah i mean my official stance on tether and bitfinex are just in general that they're very poorly managed companies and i think that's their biggest issue um most of the stuff about solvency like that doesn't even interest me i the real the real story what's really going on is way more interesting than all of the claims about solvency and all that um i did find there was a funny tweet uh about a week ago i've just found it um from Laurent, who said that uh, that people who are concerned about you know the, whether tether is backed by anything or being printed out of thin air, like you should actually you should actually find it concerning that the U.S. dollar is is uh, provably being printing up being printed out of thin air. It's not really backed by anything except for proof of a uh, proof of a uh, military industrial complex, basically. <laughs> Ah, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's its incredibly silly. There are a bunch of issues with Finex. There is a lot of things they've done that I find problem with or disagree with, but the entire notion that they're just printing money out of thin air is ridiculous to me, as from digging through the rabbit hole a bit Finexed myself, it pretty much all just stems to the Finex announcement about bank wires being refused and Bitfinex to just wildly distorting that into meaning their bank accounts were closed, money was taken away, and they don't even have an account to put money in. And just to take the claim that they're printing Tether out of thin air at face value when that is the air quote evidence to back that up, I think is the most ridiculous thing in the world. But by the same time, I think it's also ridiculous how calling bullshit on that taken to mean like just asserting there is absolutely no problem or issue with either of those companies and anything else. And just the, the way that social media FUD has been used to just so ridiculously polarize that issue and kind of divorce it from any reasoned assessment of the situation. It's just ridiculous to me. Like I really even hate touching on this topic because I just know a lot of people are going to hear this and kind of shove it into the like two-sided like meme war and refuse to actually try to step back and look at the situation objectively. Oh yeah, like um, I'm sorry, I just stepped out for a second. Did y'all talk about how like uh, the tweet that for uh, for this article, like there was even like some 
you know, like the wording on it, just like aggravating to the to the community. It's just so divisive that like even the tweet about the article was like, oh, sorry, we got to you know, everybody's so touchy about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I guess uh, JW's got to stuff out and uh, stuff some food in uh, his face, too. I guess uh, he's going to be going on the uh, the Bitcoin news show with uh, Francis and uh, Vortex later today in about, I think, an hour, JW. Uh, so Actually, in like 10 minutes. But uh, yeah, they're slumming today. Uh, apparently, somebody canceled. And uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, it should be fun. I haven't talked to those guys a whole lot, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, I'm sure, you know, be worth checking out after us today. I, I hope you'll stay around for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Right. See you guys. That was fun. Catch you later. Take care, JW. But yeah, I mean, I, honestly, if I, if you guys are okay with it, I'd like to just push past the the tether thing because this this whole thing just yeah it, it irritates me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh yeah, it's been flamed up too much. Mm -hmm. So um um you're you're the one who brought up this uh this ATM uh issue, right, Jenny? Yeah, it. Oh, I hope I'm not I'm not freezing. Am I? I feel like I keep nope. cutting out, but. No, okay. So yeah. Yeah. I just saw this today. It was actually reported yesterday. Um, I did see it briefly, but I didn't look into it. Um, but basically there is some uh, malware attacks that have apparently they, uh, they are identified as starting in Mexico and they have now come over the border to us ATMs. Uh, and basically they're calling it jackpotting, uh, which means they can basically empty the ATMs of money. Uh, so that's, pretty bad um and apparently uh banks are quietly being warned about this but obviously it's not that quiet anymore because this report um is now public at least on twitter and so yeah you probably should be worried about that fact and i think i actually saw the i first saw this story because mr hoddle uh tweeted it and he said buy bitcoin <laughs> so obviously if you hold bitcoin this is not a problem for you but if you have a debit card or something and you need to draws you might want to be careful especially if you're in the southern states along uh, the us-mexico border i assume i mean obviously that's not really how malware spreads it doesn't spread as much from uh, you know, it can just be released on the internet and everything, but obviously if you're at greater risk, if you're closer to where it came from. Yeah. I'd be real interested to see how this, uh, how like, uh, read into it more just cause, um, I'd imagine if it's like you're withdrawing all the cash from the ATM, you'd have to be there locally. You just like, uh, upload it and then sit in there and just try to unload all the cash from that as quick as possible. Just hope nobody pulls up behind you wondering why there's a hundred dollar bills spitting out of the ATM like crazy. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting for sure, and it just like, kind of highlights like how insecure the current system is. I mean, like I've, I mean, like I've seen guys loading up those ATMs, you know, with no security, just standing around by themselves with stacks of hundreds, and you know, I mean, like yeah, there's lots of uh, holes in uh, in the current system, and yeah, hopefully we can. Uh, you know, keep this kind of, keep our value protected with Bitcoin. Yeah. And I've heard that obviously, you know, most of these machines run on windows, which is like such a catastrophe in itself, but uh, they run on windows XP, which is 
now no longer supported even by security updates. So if you are a bank who runs an ATM and you haven't uh, updated the software, apparently some banks haven't updated their ATM software since the 1980s. Um, so good luck with that. <laughs> you should probably think about updating that soon. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like e e even the um, like here in Illinois, uh, something interesting I found out. Uh, pretty much arriving late for a, uh, a drunken walk to get beer. Apparently our lotto machines run on Linux. So the, the people who run the lottery uh, are intelligent enough to understand the, the way to operate secure systems. But the banks that literally manage almost all of the money run their things on Windows XP. Like, <laughs> what well, the hell? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're gambling, you know, you're, you're, like like uh, Andreas has said before, if you're a criminal, you're one of the first adopters of a new technology because you operate at the nexus of highest risk, highest reward. So if you're doing lottery stuff, you know you better have. I would be curious. Do you, is it just Linux in general that they said they used, or do they use a specific distribution? Oh, I'm, I'm not going sure. to the I Linux war. I was pretty much there for the uh, the daily reboot for the machine and saw talks and the. Uh, like the kernel getting booted up and went, oh, that that's kind of interesting. I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, I bet they hold that close to the chest. But yeah, it definitely does show that where it's like, you know, people that need that security, they're going to take those extra steps because it serves them well. And I just like, God, you know, using this outdated software and it's like these people are supposed to be accountable for your funds. Like that's their job, right? Is to make sure that your funds are there and everything. But I don't know. I guess it's that like, uh, you know, cash is meant to be disposable. And so like, you know, protect your numbers or your account, but you know, like just cash is just bleeding out the system. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure this next thing has probably been plumbed and memed to absolute death. Um, but What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, Bitcoin? Hey, 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 hey. Lawsuit. Uh, this, this is probably the absolute funniest thing in the world. The actual court document for a class action lawsuit is quoting Alice in Wonderland. The, the, like i i see like this this i i don't know what to make of it. it it's just weird it's surreal this is like the perfect example of just how weird the world is getting that this is how they're trying to paint this in a way where like court documentation is going to be digestible to the actual people who sit in judgment they're starting off with an analogy to alice in wonderland I don't know. That's like the Bitcoin space, right? Everybody falls down the rabbit hole. And these are the kind of guys where they'll take you down a path you don't want to go. I love how the, is it like the list of um, defendants or plaintiffs at the top? You go to their uh, list of names and some, some of them actually list their handles like Crypto Nick, Trevor James. Oh, so now we know Trevor James is actually Trevor Brown. I love the there was a GIF going around. Or I don't. I've apparently been told 
uh, see, Jif, I should be like giraffe, right? That's why you say Jif. But then somebody says it. Some people think you should say GIF. It's like a whole war, apparently. I'm not too militant about it. Anyway, there's a GIF or GIF going around um, where where uh, Trevor James, aka Trevor Brown, is saying, "You didn't really use. You didn't really use lose your money." Well, you actually lost your money. <laughs> yeah, just that little ten-second clip. It's like, oh shit. Yeah, and some of it's really sad because, like, there's this. Um, there was also this like music video of that really crazy guy who was up on the BitConnect stage and like making all these weird vocalizations that I never <laughs> want to hear again in my life. Um, and uh, there was a 17-year-old kid featured in that and he was actually a BitConnect investor so there's like some really young people apparently that were involved in this yeah mm-hmm. it looks like a... the Sorry. whole thing is it's just silly like I mean like I don't understand how they thought this would go any other way I mean the the companies are being listed as responsible all of these people shilling on YouTube and social media are pretty much being uh, painted as uh, advertisers or whatnot for the project i mean like i like this it's literally something advertising insane like unpromisable games i mean <laughs> like yeah i mean like that's just where it's like uh you know they have to have something put down against them because it's so ridiculous it is like it's almost a cartoon how ridiculous it is that that uh infamous video now where like that guy carlos he's become like a meme and um you know it's like uh they were just really you know pandering to a lot of uh retired people i mean like this uh this lawsuit's out of south florida and um you know like uh just taking advantage of people and it's just uh it got to a fever pitch to where if uh if there wasn't some sort of uh response by the sec then you know (sighs) I don't know how anybody like there could be any real sense of accountability because uh, that was just like when it comes to like the tip of the like the the main thing where people look at it and say like that's an obvious Ponzi. It was one coin and now it, it definitely was turned into BitConnect. So it's good to see it, uh, you know, get get thrown down. But uh, I'd have to disagree with you, Janine. I think Carlos up there might have been, uh, you know. He's making memes for years with this. Hey, hey, hey. I saw a uh, crypto graffiti post that was really, uh, really funny where uh, the, uh, they were comparing like who said it better, Carlos or Fat Albert. And uh, yeah, I still don't know on that one because they're both pretty damn entertaining. It's going to be fun to watch for times in the future, too. Hey, hey, hey. I almost can't even remember Fat Albert say hey hey because Carlos is just like stuck with me now. Memes will do that. They will uh root out inferior memes and occupy that brain space. Do we actually know what that guy's name is? Is he listed as one of the people in the in the yeah, I think action he's in there. or uh Carlos Oh my god. That 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 guy is going to yeah that guy is going to be infamous. <laughs> well, he's already on Twitter saying like at, that he's getting like yelled at in the in the airports. You know, like people running up to him just screaming "BitConnect," 
And it, I just like, it reminds me of like, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle, when he was really like disturbed that everywhere he went, somebody yelled, I'm Rick James, bitch. And it's just like, I could imagine him just getting everywhere he goes, somebody yelling BitConnect. Cause, uh, I mean, like I've told this anecdote a couple of times already, but it's like, it got so ridiculous that I was sitting on my balcony and, uh, a guy walking his dog and like a little two, three-year-old kid that probably couldn't even say a sentence was just screaming, BitConnect. BitConnect, and he just kept doing it all the way down the street. And I, I wish I had grabbed some video of it because it's just like, I don't know, it really just shows like how like penetrating this stuff is. And like, uh, yeah, Carlos, he's uh, Carlos Matos, 80 there. Yeah, he's, he's penetrated the meme verse pretty hard with this one. Maybe a little too hard. <laughs> I'm st like, I'm honestly not sure if this it, like is a parody or <laughs> actually him, but i really don't care because it's fucking hilarious yeah i like to think it's true it's true yeah i mean when was the account created if you go to his profile dun 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 yep january this year oh okay Eh. <sighs> Someone like yes. So anyway, it's funny anyway. Because <laughs> that's one of the famous quotes that was in the music video about how my my wife left me. Uh, you said this is a scam. No, no, no. <laughs> everything funny has to not be real. Damn it. And I guess to slide along, it'd be. Lower miss not to at least mention the um coin check hack of <laughs> like half a billion dollars. Uh yeah, I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking stealing Ripple. And to be entirely honest, I still don't know what the hell Mem is or or really care what it is. But yeah, I mean Exchange hacks, I think, are just going to have less and less of an effect as time goes on. I mean, we had uh, a dive to like 10K because of that, and we're already back up in the 11,000s. I mean, it's like a little blip unless we crash again from here. <laughs> I believe NEM stands for not even money. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it, uh, I don't know, like uh, JW was saying earlier on the show about how like these exchanges, they get hacked and like, a lot of people, they don't really know the full story behind it. And they just see Bitcoin hacked and uh, Bitcoin exchange hacked and they don't look in to see like it was these other tokens that might have, you know, bigger security holes in the way that they do uh, business with the exchange. So uh, that's what was taken. And, you know, yeah, we saw a little drip from it, but like, uh, yeah, we're right back up and. You know, it's like, uh, once again, I think we did drop below 10, but only for like an hour. It's like, I, I watched like that. Uh, how long have we dropped below 10? It's like less than a few hours. Uh, that bind pressure is pretty heavy down there. Mm -hmm. Honey badgers getting uh, more resilient. And I guess uh, on that note, I think these are the, the last two things we got for the day, but Zap is now got a beta release out for testnet. So that is even one more uh, Lightning Network wallet that you guys can tinker and play with. And I'm sure he would appreciate uh, help with any bugs. Although 
I'm not imagining there's going to uh, be too many based on LND. And then... Yeah, and he... Yeah, I just want to I want to point out he did say that if you want to use it on mainnet you can, you have to configure it yourself. I mean, obviously do that at your own risk, but if you really want to, you can use it, you can use it on mainnet. Yeah, I was just going to also comment that yeah, like I've been syncing this stuff up going through the command line and to see a GUI while it come out, I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to jump on this and like I might be fiddling with those uh with that uh, you know, what the technical aspects of it to see if I could get it working for mainnet. Sorry, I kind of lost my work. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, on that note, um, you can earn the reckless hashtag, but there are still bugs. You can lose money. You know that walking into this, if you start messing with things on mainnet. So it's nice to report bugs. Uh, I believe Udi Wasama or Udi Wethemer said this on uh, Twitter. You know, it's nice to report the bugs, but please, if you lose money, do not waste developers' time expecting them to get you your money back. If you are tinkering with this on mainnet, you walked into that full well aware of that risk, and it's frankly not their job to get your money back if you take that risk and draw this for short straw. But I guess in uh, other nice news, Square is pushing Bitcoin out more. In the show notes, there's there's the whole walkthrough on how to buy and sell if it's available for you uh, on their own website. So, hey guys, you know, cut up those other cards, cancel those other accounts, and let's start actually applying market pressure to idiotic, irresponsible businesses in the space and stop expecting them to just frankly pull their heads out of their ass. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, I heard in the mumble that this was uh, available now through the Cash App, and I went in there and noticed that I didn't have it, but I looked on the internet real quick and saw it was like, a, I was just didn't have my phone number put into the app, and like, then it gave me access. So, like, uh, you might, you got to have your email and your phone number put in there, and you could get access. And yeah, definitely uh, nice to have the competition there to where, like, you know, guys like us, we could start using this uh, cash app card instead of the shift card. And uh, yeah, like you're saying, really put the pressure on Coinbase to make the right moves here. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, anybody uh, got any last thoughts for the day? Honestly, I'm kind of like running into a blank. Just that, uh, you know, check out JW's, uh, like comparison sheet there like uh i know like uh we were saying like he was saying he hadn't gotten uh too much pushback from it but i think that that's kind of some unpopular work that needs to be done as far as just sort of like putting it out there as far as uh what these all are trying to achieve and you know an easy way to educate people so um you know like uh, if we could spread that around and get feedback to them and uh it'd all be helpful Mm hmm And anything from you, Janine? Yeah, I just thought it would be good to show this BISC chart from, uh, I think it was last week. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting because they had a really huge spike in volume um, in January. So that's cool. More people are jumping on to decentralized exchanges that don't screw around with your money. That's a very viable alternative if you're just looking to buy and hold. I mean... Why not? Yeah, like um, 
I'm actually on their YouTube channel, subscribe to their YouTube channel. They have these growth calls that I've been watching. It's uh it's interesting to see like an exchange come together like that, like this decentralized consensus exchange. It, it's, it's awesome. I like it. So yeah, like uh, it's good to see that, you know, their volatility go up and they're, I'm sure they're, uh, they're increasing their USD volume right now, according to their, their growth calls. That's like the goal is so, uh, you know, if you got a way to get some USD on BISC exchange and, uh, you know, you want to help out, subscribe to their YouTube channel, maybe participate in the growth calls and, uh, you know, can do this. Mm -hmm. And I guess I had a call back to the start of the episode with the whole side chains discussion. Um, do not, even if you are new in this space, even if you are underinformed, don't just blindly follow oracles because of reputation. Be your own oracle. So on that note, like and subscribe if you want to, and go give JW some love on WCN. And go. Shinobi, are you, are, are, you, are you saying that we shouldn't listen to Vinny? Because he's, he's apparently the new Bitcoin oracle, as, no. as I'm told by CNBC. No, you ignore, do the exact opposite <laughs> of everything that man says. <laughs> Definitely a big negative. All right. I guess on that note, toots everybody. Vinny is a big counter indicator. <laughs> later, everyone. See you later this Bye. week.